0: I have five things to talk about this week.
1: Yes, we've got quite a lot of stuff to get through, haven't we? Where shall we begin? Maybe because of the newsworthiness of it. Black Mirror Season
0: 4 came out. Ah! It came out yesterday! Gosh, have you, you can't have watched it already. I watched all of it as quickly as it was physically possible for a human being to do it because... You- are a madman I, I tweeted after watching all of it and I, it showed up uh 9 a.m your time at 10 for me at about 5 30 i uh, tweeted about it so <laughs> i watched all of it wow any good and uh, so so <laughs> i can't say it's bad Uh But it's revealing more clearly the weaknesses of the show (laughs) because we're getting more of it. And maybe it's it's also making clear that maybe it's time to retire to this. Either rethink it and be more ambitious or just stop.
1: (laughs) There's an element of um, sort of... Well, I don't know exactly what word I should use here, but... The uh, Us here in the UK every year, we u- are used to Charlie Brooker doing a roundup of the year called Wipe, the yearly wipe. And we were waiting for t- uh, 2017 Wipe has been eagerly awaited for all of 2017 because of how epic it's going to be. And he announced recently that he's just not doing it because he hasn't got time because he's doing this instead. Um, and so there's a lot of disappointment all wrapped up in this series of... Um, of Black Mirror, which you know, I'm trying not to feel. I'm trying to be fair to the guy. I get that is a that is a lot to do. Um, um,
0: yeah, but I think the quality of writing in season four shows that he didn't even have time to do this properly because there yeah. are in multiple episodes what I think are mm-hmm. either sci-fi sloppiness or character writing sloppiness, where it's more like it's bending over backward the logic of the setting and the characters just to make them hit certain dramatic points just because yeah and then there's like a lot of the questions and kind of the, the internal logic behind it, it it jumped out more than it should usually you know you can be forgiving of anything because it's like yeah whatever and it just kind of flows past and it doesn't matter here in this it kind of the stuff illogical stuff kind of it annoyed me more than it should um, like in the first episode, halfway through it, I was thinking in s- in the middle of it, like in s- through several scenes, I was more annoyed by the logical inconsistency of what was happening mm. than being swept up in the story. And I felt like this is this shouldn't be happening. Just something little to explain it, just adding a little bit would have kind of smoothed over this. It. Uh, And this happened in other episodes, too. And in general, this season felt formulaic. It felt like, oh, we have a couple of episodes of a certain kind. We have a couple of episodes of a certain kind. And in in season three, the best episode was the uh, happy romance episode. And in this, episode four, like in last season, is a happy romance episode. And it feels like it's too transparently following a mold... And this is in a series where every episode is a self-contained story with new characters and everything. Where it's like, this should be the most varied and free uh, structure you could have. But it's not inventive enough. The final episode of the season is inventive. And it's my favorite one. Because that feels like, oh, this is like nothing we've seen before in Black Mirror. Which is what I hoped every episode would be like. Instead, it was like, oh, here's another couple of episodes like this. And here's another episode like this. Except because it's another episode like that, that diminishes the power of it. And then, okay, so you're doing the same thing as before. And now the execution has to weigh up for it. And Mm -hmm. the execution isn't
1: there because there's sloppiness in the writing and... (laughs) I've seen quite a few tweets recently yeah. where it's you know a joke about how oh, this or that is like Black Mirror, and they all nail the Black Mirror style quite well to the extent that yeah, that clearly means that it's getting to be, that people know it, and it needs shaking up.
0: Yeah, and this worked as a confirmation of uh, having read up a lot uh, about how editors approach uh, fiction when they edit books and stuff. One way to figure out if there's a problem in a story is to Uh, You make a spreadsheet, and then you kind of track the value uh, uh, shifts in each uh, scene. And if you go from, like, uh, something negative happens, something negative happens, something negative happens, if you do too much of that in a row, uh, that usually means there's a problem in the story. And that's how you can diagnose it. If you have, like, a vague feeling something is wrong, and then you can spreadsheet it, and then you can probably... Uh, highlight that oh this is getting monotonous now and there's two episodes in this season which are just that where it's like oh it's a person in a horrible situation Go, uh, something happens to them that uh, makes them make bad decisions an accident or something bad happens to them and there is a negative spiral of events where it's like oh it just gets worse and worse and worse and at the end yeah. something even worse happens and they're completely doomed at the end and it's just a spiral of misery. And at some point, maybe halfway through that negative spiral cycle in the episode, the, the, the power of the negative events, it starts to fizzle out. It stops having an impact. And at yeah. the end, it's just, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And especially in one of them, the, the, there's, I think it's episode five, it's in black and white. I was laughing because it was hammering the misery button so hard with like, oh, it's black and white. There's a car chase. There's- the music is just dramatic strings of like apocalyptic stuff and they're cutting out frames to add intensity. And it was laughable. It was a parody of itself. And it was unintentional.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and of course, br- brutal gore. I think the point where I started laughing was when someone gets their head kind of uh, impaled by a thing and it just blows up their head and it's like I'm supposed to take this seriously and it's funny <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah <laughs> somewhere there in the execution should have dialed back a bit instead of like hitting on it as hard as possible with like the black and white colored scheme it's post-apocalyptic and they're hunted by robots and the, the, the music was too much <laughs> Uh, So anyway, (laughs) it just felt like, oh, so in season three, there was maybe one or two good episodes. And in this season, again, there's maybe one or two good episodes. And the rest of it feels like, oh, there's... Who wants these misery episodes where the two of them, which are the most negative? Who wants it? The characters are paper thin. And the science stuff, I felt, was predictable it was neat but it's lost its novelty now in the fourth season somehow like the tech isn't imaginative enough it feels like the most predictable outcome of a certain tech thing so you have that and you don't explore it in an inventive enough way and the characters are just who cares it's like here's a paper thin archetype that goes through hell and I'm not with the character, and the tech isn't balancing it out. And it's just, well, I guess that happened, is the reaction. It's like, the execution is good, the actors do everything well enough, and it's better looking than before because it's higher budget now. But it's just it just shows that there's not enough time to do all this. Somehow... Yeah. Uh, the the cycle of events. However, however, his life is like now. Maybe he has a bunch of meetings now <laughs> that's taking up time in the day.
1: Um, maybe. I, I, I mean, I, but it do- doesn't seem like long since the last series came out, you know. Yeah. So perhaps they are rushing them.
0: Yeah, and I feel like cut it. Six episodes is too much. Like half yeah. the season is filler as it is. Do three episodes that are maybe ninety minutes each. Yeah. Definitely. I yeah. mean, didn't they do that? Isn't that what they started out doing? Uh, can't remember. <laughs> I feel like they did. Could yeah, be wrong. Might be. I might as well look it up. Uh, because uh, now that we're in like the fourth season, I think back at uh, yeah, just like how how what's the point of going on here? Like okay, yeah, first two seasons, three episodes each, mm. and then we had the Christmas episode. Like. Um, even with those seasons, I feel like because we had the white Christmas episode, the 2014 Christmas special, and we have the romance
1: episode, those were the peak, by far, by far the best. I've still not seen the romance episode. Oh. I know everyone everyone loves it. I've just, I, I saved it because everyone basically said that it was so nice that Abby would like to see it as well. Yeah. So I saved it. And the opportunity for us both to watch it never came up, and I've just never seen it. So I want to get on that. Yeah and uh, those two by far the, ep- the best episodes and
0: now those are like the benchmark like each season mm. should have at least an episode as good as that because that feels like okay you can do it this well now you have to deliver to that level everything else is a disappointment so either if you can't do it stop <laughs> <laughs> or like this it's like six episodes is too much and the final episode that's it's said that like written by Charlie Brooker like but story by Pendleth like it, it wasn't like maybe pitched by him to Charlie Brooker or something. So it was so different because it wasn't him. <laughs> anyway. So uh so not a very high priority for me to watch that it sounds like no. I feel like the, the, the ultimate condemnation of this is like if my brother asked me if he should watch this I I would say yeah no. <laughs> Don't bother. Yeah. (laughs) But for everyone else who enjoyed Black Mirror, it's like, fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's
1: just, it's uninspiring. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where if it's going to be bland, then it needs to be an ongoing series. You know, like we used to watch in the 80s, like Quantum Leap or something. Whereas, if it's going to be a short series, then each one, uh, uh, each one needs to be good. Um, and if they're not, you, you drift away from it. I've drifted away from it. I've not bothered watching this series after watching the last series, which I enjoyed. I quite enjoyed the last series. Mm. So it's not that I like hated it or anything, but this sort of thing has to be brilliant to, to go on. And yeah, knowing that we got this instead of a, an annual wipe is, is a disappointment. I don't, I don't know why I prioritize the wipe program, but I just sort of do. Yeah, they're fun.
0: <laughs> I enjoy
1: watching all of them. Mm. And it's a uh... actually this uh, towards the end of this year, I um, entertained myself by watching back over the exit like the old annual wipes, and they go back to like 2012, and it's it was lovely to just g- go to a time where the biggest problem for Charlie Brooker to rant about was just someone being a bit silly or something, and just and everything was fine. It was nice to sen- sink into that world.
0: Yeah, and every time he, he recaps what's been on TV, it's like, oh, I can't believe you've watched this crap. Like the yeah. show where people just go diving. Oh, It's a diving competition for celebrities.
1: like, who, who would watch this? I know, I know.
0: Oh. And I don't know
1: who. I, You know, we live in... I, I don't know what it's like in Sweden. I imagine it's similar. But certainly here in the UK, there's this constant pressing sense that you're supposed to have watched this and that and we all saw this and and I haven't I don't know anyone who's seen any of it ever except Bake Off (laughs) that's it it's really weird, it's weird how I guess like TV, responding to TV used to make sense because it was the cultural cornerstone of the nation and so yeah you had seen it It, or if you hadn't then at least you basically knew what it was whereas now it's it's odd to see this assumption that you've all watched just nonsense that you've not even heard of because yep. no one even watches tv anymore and it's it's just odd that the that the the entertainment is still measured in stuff you don't watch mm. like that yeah anyway anyway yeah I was
0: just thinking if there's anything more to say about it i had an idea but then i lost it and now oh, i'm dear. wondering if i can remember it again but whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, now I remember. After I watched it because there's there'd been so little time since it showed up on Netflix, you know, it was physically impossible to watch it any faster than I did. I looked up have any critics reviewed this and I found the laziest reviews imaginable. It was clear everyone was just kind of watch it. all the kind of website critics vox whatever, Guardian, I was watching it and taking notes at the same time and just <laughs> pushing them on the website. It was just recaps of the contents of the episode with minimal information uh. of whether it is good or not. It was clearly pure filler content. It's just, oh, we yeah. have to have something about this because Black Mirror is an event. So poor writers were had there, I guess they. The website CMS open on one window and the show open on another, and just writing down what's happening. And it's like great content, guys. I guess I guess you. How much ad revenue are you getting from this? Especially the Vox review was especially annoying because they just added stock clickbaity phrases in it to rile um. people up, and it was so transparent because it was like. Here's a paragraph intended to annoy people and then here's the rest of the review that, that doesn't connect to that in any way at all. It just felt like here's catchphrases to drive traffic and here's oh. the actual content. <laughs> oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, fuck off. But I guess that's modern v- web writing. You're
1: like, I guess. You and know. Uh, you know, again it's sort of part of the the whole thing where you you have to write about this, 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 and this, and if there is nothing to say about it, which, you know, it sounds like there probably isn't. You know, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's not all that much to it. Yeah, and you have to take... That, that's why, like,
0: YouTube uh, content took mm. off, because it was people who would spent a lot of time thinking about something, mm. couldn't let it go, mm. then made a video about it just for fun, and then it sh- we have, like... Two hour Ar artic- videos about nonsense, like stuff that would on a commercial website never be made, yeah, and that that has thought behind it, whereas this it was th- the time lag between it coming out and the article showing up, you couldn't have deep thoughts about it there'd been yeah. no- hadn't been enough time, so you had the worst content
1: <laughs> yeah anyway. Oh, well, so that's Black Mirror. What's next on the list? I watched an inconvenient sequel, colon, Truth to Power. I assume this is a sequel to An Inconvenient Truth, the documentary about global warming. Yes.
0: And th- basically, I, th- the name itself sold me on it. It's like, that's <laughs> one hell of a name. <laughs> and it's a well-made documentary. It's basically yeah. structured the same... And it just kind of recaps what's happened in the world of green tech and such since. So Al Gore is still doing lectures Mm -hmm. and it's structured as, well, he has lectures in various places and it's cross cut with him traveling to places, kind of reflecting on what's happening, reacting to news, going on TV shows, what's going on in his life and connected with like the content of his lectures. And it's very well put together. It's very entertaining, it's nice to look at, the nice cinematography. Of course, it's Al Gore, so he has the budget for it. <laughs> and it has an emphasis on like spectacular disaster footage, so it ha- hits the emotions as much as it can. So it's yeah. overly dramatic at times. And uh, much of it feels like it's a response to Trump, and uh, because a lot of it covers the Paris conference, The build up to it and the negotiations that happened there, kind of the difficulties they had to overcome, kind of trying to show like everyone says the Paris conference, the Paris treaty was worthless. And here it shows like it tried to show like the value that came out of it, right? Because India came there saying, like, fuck this, we want, we have like. Hundreds of millions of people without power, it's unethical to not uh, implement nuclear and coal power here. And then Al Gore and company try to do like background deals with uh, banks and technology companies to give them a deal for green tech um, investment there. To, so they don't have to go through the steps of evolution that we did. They can jump straight to, like, the future that we want instead of having to go through archaic technology we're trying to get rid of. Right, cool. And it shows that, well, they succeeded in that. So India signed the treaty. And uh, it's, I feel like this works as a documentary for a wide audience. Like, I don't need to have dramatic music and the disaster footage and yeah. the emotional sheep shots yeah but for a, a documentary designed designed to be shown in theaters for like everyone i think this really works because it is entertaining it still communicates the message it wants effectively kind of like uh, and without being too insufferable it doesn't feel too sheep it kind of just rattles the edge there between like uh, being dumb and actually being good. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it does it well. And um, it has the heart in the right place and it tries to humanize Al Gore, him being sad at times, seeing (laughs) how people reacted to the other documentary and the Fox News people and stuff and being fired up and angry about stuff. That's entertaining and it feels genuine. So yeah, I wouldn't say anyone should go out of their way to watch this, but if they want to watch another documentary kind of like an inconvenient
1: truth, this is entertaining. I I enjoyed my time watching it. <laughs> and is that cuz I haven't watched an inconvenient truth. Hmm. Um for much the same reason that I haven't watched um what's that? one that's called like Earthlings or something like that about uh, about how we butcher animals that uh, makes you sad about that. Oh, um <laughs> I feel like I have I have 100% accepted that the Earth is going to die very soon. And I don't need to be shown the specifics of that and told in exactly what ways, if I were a millionaire, I could be helping, but the millionaires aren't. Like, is, that, is it just really depressing? No. This has a mostly positive outlook because it shows...
0: Really? Uh, because I think people... It's easy to get overly dramatic about what's going on and think that, oh, the sky is falling. But humanity should be given a break to some extent because in the 1800s, (laughs) that's when people for the first time had an inkling of an idea to measure what's happening on the planet ecologically wise and th- at that point you know the overfishing wasn't a problem and so people thought just fish however much you want and in the 60s that's when people for the first time had an idea to re like look again at what's happening and notice that hold on maybe we should rethink this and the process we've made since 2006 when Inconvenient Truth came out and this it's pretty huge like green investments oh. and stuff it's Way bigger than like people expected, and people were hitting like green goals much faster than expected. So, and in many countries, people are just jumping over steps of evolution straight to green tech, and it's giving them more power and being more
1: reliable than um, like the doomsayers would say. So, <coughs> yeah, what? one of the things that one of the few things that uh, this that our as in the UK's government hmm. has done that's made me smile at all is that apparently they have signed something where by a particular year we will be completely using green tech in some way oh no i know what it is it's that they'll they're going to be banning um petrol cars altogether yeah that's what that's a great step i don't know i'm i don't know what's going to become of you know i'm not going to be able to afford an electric car but we'll see Uh, but um yeah but the thing is if we hit that point and there's electric cards
0: coming out of everyone's orifice, of yeah. course they're going to be cheap.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And especially if they, you know, they, the the best way to make something happen across an entire country is to make it cheaper than the alternative. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah and- um, anyway, so that's happening, we hope. I mean, it's, it's a bit of an empty promise, because you never know. The next people might just go, well, obviously, no, we haven't got that sorted out. But we'll see yeah and uh,
0: there's loads of like green tech companies everywhere trying to come up with new ways of doing everything uh, like uh, electric bikes and stuff like that uh, electric everything automated stuff uh, increasing efficiency of production and like I think it was an island (laughs) in Hawaii or something where they have a like a battery a, a huge chunk of batteries uh that charge up during the day, and during the night, uh, the whole city is powered by those batteries. Mm. So uh, they don't have to use any alternative technologies like that battery uh, pack, um, because it charges by like wind and solar during the day. Mm-hmm. It's complete, completely like self-sustained. Like. Okay, so sometimes you have to exchange the batteries, but you don't need (laughs) to worry about having power during uh, night because it's coming from the batteries that charge during the day. Yeah. So that's the thing you can do in a lot of places. (laughs) (laughs) And that answers the question like, okay, so what do you do when the wind isn't blowing and there's no sun? Well, you have a huge uh, battery pack that's been charging up. Yeah. Anyway. So that's something. It is. So to
1: have you talk a little bit. Um hello. You watched uh, your name. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we watched this yesterday. Um what a fascinating film. It's um it's effective, it's affecting. It's very good. So anyone yeah. who's listening and happens not to know, this is an anime. And I have a bit of a storied history with anime. I've been I've both had an anime is inherently better than western animation phase in my teens as many of us do i've also in my 20s had a actually screw anime i hate it phase um and i'm now in a position where i'm basically completely accepting of anime except that there's a lot in it that i personally can't usually get on board with or watch and at first it seems as if this film's going to be full of that because one of the very first things that happens is there's a lot of uh, breast focus straight away, like immediately as the film begins. There's a initially meaningless, but obviously by the end of the film you'll understand it, but then it won't be on again intro sequence where there's, you know, characters zipping about in space. There's, um, there's all the tropes of, of anime, and I would be interested to know whether any of them are supposed uh, like to a Japanese viewer whether any of that is meant to you know, introduce you to here are the anime tropes, but it's going to be a bit different in this, or whether they really are so ingrained that they just had to do them. But then very quickly, the whole thing sort of settles down and becomes a real film. (laughs) Uh, And I seem to remember you telling me to push my way through those first scenes, um, and I did. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I did. It's it's difficult to know how much to say about it because it's... um, it's one of those things where you don't really want to give away what it's about but i i feel comfortable saying the basic premise um with the caveat that it's quite misleading um the, it, the basic premise is that a boy and a girl both high schoolers don't know each other and they live in completely different areas which in japan you know, means they're literally on different land masses because they you know they japan is an archipelago or whatever the word is for what japan is it's a load of little <laughs> islands and um so they're in completely essentially different worlds to each other one is in sort of rich tokyo the other is in a well a, you know a, a more basic area a more a poorer more rural area and um they swap bodies uh accidentally they they just no it's not it's not like a it's not one of those comedy things where they bump into each other and there's someone makes a wish or something no it's by some weird phenomenon they are they just wake up one day and it's kind of like having a dream and in this dream they are each other and they don't know who the other one is and they and they start to affect each other's lives and leave notes for each other and so on yeah and, and that's and, the basic beginning premise
0: yeah and and, and this uh Body Swap thing, I mean, in this, it's just, like, um, magic. Uh, like, it, it isn't explained yeah. in any way. And this no. is the most funny part about the planned J.J. Abrams uh, live-action Western remake of Your Name that's going to be made. No! Where, oh, no! Where they're planning to have a scientific explanation for this. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and it's like, oh, so you're... Com- Not only is this completely pointless, but you're going to ruin
1: everything about it. (laughs) There isn't. There isn't a JJ Abrams version of this Uh, that's going to work in the way that this works. Yeah, and it feels pointless because the story in this
0: and so many things about it feels so Japanese,
1: specific to Japan, like the well, yes, but that could be. like, I agree the, but that could be an argument for a remake couldn't it if yeah. it's so specific to Japan then making it american is going to be sufficiently different that it might be interesting might be interesting yeah so you you have uh, well, a they the, the the characters instead of like
0: tokyo and the japanese countryside you have uh, i don't know san francisco and
1: uh, like some dying coal miners town <laughs> yeah well it probably will be that won't it yeah um but the um Okay, so, the, so there's one reason why J.J. Abrams might be a pick to remake this, and one only. And that is that we know that he is good at casting and characters. So he will give us the boy and the girl, and they will be likable people, and we'll like them a lot, right? That's it. That, that's what I do. Now, the, the thing is, there is a version of this where that is good enough. The problem is that film has been made over and over and over and over again. It's a trope. It's a comedy trope. Um, and what's interesting about your name is that it takes what could be a comedy trope and what could and what looks initially like it's going to be yet another anime like oh her, her, the differences between boys and girls oh, her, her. Um, but what it does is it without ever explicitly doing or saying very much to to tell you this is what it's doing, it kind of builds this sense of longing um, which isn't even a specific one, it's not like a you know, you. I heard before I went in that this was going to be in some way a sort of love story, so I thought that it was going to be that they, you know, they in a, again in a very basic way, just like, oh I like the girl I'm turning into, or I like the boy I'm turning into but it's it's more than that. It's not... Or rather, it's less specific than that. It never... It's It's not like... It, it's just not like that. It's more like everything about it, the fact that this odd sort of mystical thing is happening to them, the fact that they're seeing other lives, they end up as involved with each other's friends and family as they do with each other. It's not so much a, like... It's certainly not a sexual thing and it's not a, um, a, like a longing for, um, a person and nothing else thing. It's just a jet that the the filmmaker is good at creating this sense of like, I don't know, just people having a bond with things. Um, in this case, yeah, people, but also the people around those people, the worlds around those people, um, and this is before even getting into and i'm i'm kind of not going to get into because because it, it's a spoiler um where the film goes later on there was a moment where me and abby watching it actually started shouting in excitement about a development and and the interesting thing is it feels as if it goes from like oh, here's the film here's the film and then big twist now it's now it's all weird now it's all magic or sci-fi or something but actually you know, you start with the body swap thing. It's weird how it makes that. It plays on the fact that that's an old trope, and it uses that as its normal, so almost, so that you think that you're just going to watch a film of them going like, "Oh, this is weird," and now I'm coming to terms with it, and now here's a, a some J-pop. But instead of that, <laughs> it's it's it gets really involved. Abby was crying. It was that there's one moment in particular where they they build up. They build and build the tension of, like, um, the general premise. And then there's literally w- a one-frame cut, which is devastating in a weird way. You kind of go like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful moment. <laughs> yeah, it really is incredibly well-directed bit. And, and what's particularly good about it is that it's a scene which... And I've said already that it's kind of a love story, and it's kind of a love story scene, which I don't think I would normally be an, involved with. I, you know, I think it would ordinarily, were it not for that cut, be a fairly rote bit. Um, particularly because I was actually feeling quite disappointed before that moment, in that scene, because the film looked as if it was about to fall back into anime BS. It, you know, it start, she started going like, did you grope my boobs? And then, and then she did the, like, you pervert, harumph face. And, the, you know, all of the stuff that you get in anime that we have to go through that I'm absolutely sick to the back teeth of and just have no, no patience for at all. And then, you know, not a minute later, it had completely turned me around. And I was, like, devastated that the scene had ended in the way that it did. It's br- brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the story is very
0: well structured and... Yep. All the uh, various ways it uh, jumps around and cuts together, and uh, this is one of the films where it's like all, all the build-up to seeing it, where it's like, okay, so this has been out in Japan, it's a huge success. Everyone says, you've seen it, says it's good, and then you watch it. I, I, I kind of, you kind of wonder, like, okay, is this gonna be good for real, or yeah. are you gonna go away from it thinking, yeah, it's fine? Instead, it was like, oh no. I can totally see what people got out of this because it's, you know, emotionally
1: satisfying. It is. It is. And there, there were several moments where I remember thinking like, Oh, I know what they're going to do. Cause I've seen anime. Uh, this is going to be this and it's going to be like this and I'm going to hate it. And it wasn't. And I didn't, <laughs> <Yeah. coughs> um, it was really good. Now I took me being me. I took the, uh, a controversial, um, decision. Which was that I did not go into the settings of my Blu-ray. I just put it on and I played it. And that, and when you do that, because it's because I have the actual Blu-ray. Um, and uh, so, of course, I watched the dub. Um, have, did you see the dub or did you see the? Uh, well, they dubbed it in Swedish here.
0: Oh, golly. Yeah, and they used celebrity actors, and I felt like, well, oh, I'd rather die than watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so I waited and waited, and um, they finally kind of showed it in more theaters in Japanese. So I watched it in Japanese with Swedish subtitles, and yep. then I imported the Japanese 4K Blu-ray version. That's what I have. It It has English subtitles on
1: it, so that's the version I have, and I've seen that one. I right. Did. Okay. So I've seen the uh, the English dub and uh, I suppose first thing to say about it is it's quite good. Um it's it isn't perfect, but the only ways in which it's not per- it, they they've certainly not screwed it up. There was no maybe there was one or two moments in the entire thing where I was thinking to myself like oh that could have been a bit better. Um and the way in which it could have been a bit better was simply um that I don't always agree with ac- the, the style of acting that anime voiceover artists use, uh, or, or their directors, if it's them that we should be uh, pointing the finger yeah, at. Yeah, from what I've understood, it is the uh,
0: voice directors that are most responsible for d- the, the, the immediately recognizable style of anime voice acting, where yeah. a few of them got the idea in their head that, oh, you have to act larger than life. <clears throat> and yeah. now, now we're in- cursed by that in video games
1: and anime and dubs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, now now that being said though, I I do want to emphasize that it doesn't go too far in this particular case. Hmm. Um the only the, the there's a slight incongruity with the fact that the film is directed in as close to a realistic style as anime is likely to get. Um and uh, and yet so for example the, uh, the 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 voice artist who who voices the main girl in it whose name i've forgotten um uh does a slightly high-pitched you know girly cartoon voice um but there is a reason uh and the reason is that uh, when it's the boy in in the girl's body she pitches her voice down a bit so and vice versa, and, the, and the, the the male actor does the same. So you're always aware, to an extent, there was a couple of moments where I was a bit confused, but you're basically always aware, just by listening, who you are looking at, who, who it is. Is it the actual kid, or is it the other kid in this kid? Um, so that is a good thing, and it never really grates... Um, certainly like if you were like if i was a generation above me and i'd never watched anime before i probably would be going like why are they talking like this but it never goes particularly far it's fine um other than that one thing the 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 actual like uh emotional moments i have no problem with i thought that they were going to suffer um but i don't think they do uh I'd completely forgotten the whole issue of it being a dub during mm. those scenes, so they must work very well. Yeah, that's... So I think this is very delicately directed, actually.
0: Yeah, I guess the, that's uh, the uh, most important thing. Like, the, At some point,
1: you have to forget and just be immersed in the story. Well, this is why <laughs> I was happy to watch the dub, because I know that most anime fans would, would, would have it the other way around, but for me, it's when I'm watching... Uh, even though it's the original, it's when I'm watching something in Japanese, all I'm thinking about is the language difference. It really brings to the forefront how I am not one of the people who's supposed to be watching this film, essentially, um, because there are so many just cultural references in it that are not going to work. And something about the way that um, something about the way that translations are done, I think. The subtitles are usually made for people who want a, a more accurate uh, reading of the of the film than the dub, which is usually uh, tilted towards it feeling natural that English speakers would say these things. Um, and there were a couple of moments where I did think that the dub um, probably tried to localize a couple of things that didn't quite work. There was a there was a discussion of. Um, there was a discussion of the uh of the twilight hour where um the it was it was very at the very start of the film you're in the classroom the teacher is writing on the board the twilight the, the 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 origin of the word twilight is too light which means the time when there's both light and dark and i remember thinking like it isn't is it that's not the etymology of the english word or if it is then that means that this is a different discussion in Japanese, where yeah. they're talking about a different word. Yeah,
0: and I, I, I immediately, like, oh, oh, you mentioned that thing? I was like, oh, I, that must have been a nightmare to
1: localize. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and to be honest, you know, they did a good job, but it just means that I think about it. But what then happened is um, that one of the conceits of the film is that you have this this twilight hour that's kind of a bit supernatural and someone else in the class goes, Oh, what? You mean the magic hour? And the teacher's like, Well, yeah, some people call it that. And he's like, Yeah, my grandma calls it that. She's like, Yeah, it, 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 some people call it the magic hour. It's the same thing, really. And I was sitting there going, Isn't this the witching hour? Wouldn't that be the phrase that you use if you're localizing it? Because that is actually a phrase that people say. I think it's actually a different hour. So in the end, probably not. But it just stood out as like the. I know, in that moment, I was thinking about the nightmare that localizers have to go through with little cultural touch points like this. But that was early on in the film, and it didn't happen again. Um, and if it did, I can't remember it now. So they, they obviously did a good job. And in fact, there's one way, and this is why I brought up the difference between subtitles and dubs, how there's usually a subtle difference in the translation. Um, the, I really appreciated the dub at the very end of the film. Um, I'm going to try and say this without spoilers but maybe skip ahead a minute or two Um, basically I don't think that this is a spoiler because I think that as a point you could have very much um, assumed it was going to happen Um, here's what I'm trying to say in the dub the last words in the film are your name and then it goes poof your name and that's you know then you get the credits Mm.
0: and I think that's also very nicely uh, edited in time by the way this movie was written, directed, and edited by one person. <laughs> wow. Well. <laughs> Who also wrote a novelization of the
1: movie himself and published it <laughs> that you can buy. <laughs> oh, I remember you telling me that. I'd forgotten it was about this, though. Yeah. And uh, apparently it's kind of
0: pointless. But apparently he-, he did write the novelization before writing the movie.
1: Oh. And it- so. It so seems, it's not f- that's a novel he's written a novel there and this is an adapt movie adaptation of it yeah but he published a novel after the movie he
0: wrote yeah. the novel i think it's just his method of working this is how he writes stories and to me it makes yeah. sense like okay so yeah i figure out the story i write the novelization then i write, uh, adapt the screenplay from it and i can see how each step of that evolution means that his uh, story comes out stronger because of it and that's why it has this uh, meticulous feel in how uh, events are the sequence of events, how you see them, are planned
1: out. Yeah. Well, so if listener, if you skipped ahead to avoid the spoiler, do it again because uh, here we go again. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say it again. So the in the dub, the last words are your name, and the way that it's angled is like, well, oh well, I, I won't say it, but in the subtitled version, because I then put on the same scene, um, in a few different modes to compare them in the subtitle version. The last words are your name is dot, dot, dot question mark. Um, which makes me assume that the way the title works is that in Japan, the way you ask someone's name is you say your name. Um, whereas that's weirdly formal here. So they, so they couldn't just go like your name. Um, so they have to write a line that goes before the phrase. So it becomes like, sorry, can I ask you your name? And, then credits well um so i think it was much better that they that you know in the dub that they angled it that way and it just goes to show that the people doing the dub script were thinking in those terms they were trying to make it present itself the best it can in other words it's a good dub in every aspect in terms of localization in terms of the direction although as i say there was a little bit of cartooniness to the voices that i personally think doesn't fit with the visuals but what I always find when I watch something in an anime in Japanese that's one of these ones where everyone says, oh, you've got to watch the original language, I always find the same thing. I always find the same vocal tropes, if you like, um, to always be there. And and the bits of this film that I listen to, there they all are. Um, so what I suspect is happening is that the effect in to a Japanese viewer is much the same as hearing the English voices were to me the that you know cartoon voices are a thing even in the most serious anime and this may or may not be one of them um but uh i don't feel like i lose much by being able to understand them and i and i gained something because when i watched a scene in with the subtitles firstly i did notice that now the um the mouth movements were definitely synced to the actual dialogue which isn't always the case in anime even the good ones in fact, it's really this and Akira, that the the only ones I've ever seen where it is. Um, so that's a plus. The, the negative, though, is that had I watched it with subtitles, I would have missed so much great animation. There were, and I mean that, there were just in the one scene that I watched, there were some great bits of animation that I literally, di- you know, I, I read the subtitle as quick as I could, then looked back up again, and, and it had finished. And I remembered it from when I watched it the first time round and thinking it was a good moment. So, um, and it, it, you know, especially that one, that one frame, sudden cut. If i if I'd been trying to read subtitles during that, I can only imagine that it, some of its effect would have been reduced. Um, but who knows? Oh, mind you, you saw it in subtitle, didn't you? So maybe not. Yeah, but I think I have a different relationship to subtitles,
0: given that since birth. We are barraged by English-speaking content subtitled in Swedish, so yeah, like uh, subtitles. Oh, that's normal. It's like that. Uh, of course, you watch things subtitled because all media is subtitled.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm glad I watched the dub. Um, it was good. I'm I'm more comfortable with with that if it's a good one, yeah. uh, than I am with, with reading subtitles because I miss the animation and in this particular film. In most anime, it doesn't matter because there's time to read the subtitles before the next sort of <laughs> drawing appears a lot of the time because they cut so many corners. This film cuts no corners I'm aware of. Yeah, there's I, always I, something great to look at.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's there's, a, of course, a marked difference
1: between like if you're making a movie versus making a
0: TV show where... TV shows, you, you have to get mercenary because studios have like, okay, so we're making this show in this bracket of time and we have another show scheduled for next half year, scheduled in yeah. that bracket of time. And like whether it's well animated or not, it's like, well, we'll see how it turns out. And whatever we finish in time, that will, that's what will air on that date.
1: <laughs> Whereas with a movie, it's more like, yeah, we have a couple of years. Well, that's right. Um, but I would, but, I mean, this, I don't think I'm treading new ground by saying that this film in particular is a good looking one. Uh, um, yes, uh, this,
0: uh, this director, his movies have been looking very good for a long time. He has this, especially the backgrounds, the quality of yeah. the backgrounds has been on this level for
1: his past few movies. And it's always a treat just to look at them. Yes, I don't know quite what exactly he's using for these. Mm. It's something akin to uh, to the old um, deep canvas that Disney used to use just before they closed their two D studio. It's um, it's paintings. It's two dimensional paintings, but sometimes the camera can pan around them. Mm. It's very good. Yeah, um, honestly, I, I maybe this is just recency bias, but at this moment, I'm I feel like I'm putting the the look of this film and its animation above a lot of Miyazaki. Um, it just was really good. Yeah, this felt
0: like a very good demonstration of all the modern technologies utilized to their fullest. Um, it felt like, oh, so, so this is how good you can make a 2D movie uh, look now. And I feel like yeah. it's such a shame 2D animation has been lost in uh, Disney and etc. Because it felt like... Yeah okay, so we're getting generic looking 3D movies that look good, but there's something missing in the richness and the vividness when you don't have the 2D drawings everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's so so painful to see how desperate all of the American studios are to still be making 2D. Every single 3D animated film that comes out has some 2D gimmicks somewhere in it. Yeah. And just make some 2d films we we're here (laughs) yeah (laughs) like
0: uh the little i've seen of coco um just preview stuff it's
1: like oh it's another 3d movie it has that 3d movie look yeah apparently it's a great film and it's yeah you know spiritually beautiful and so on and everyone has a lovely time and comes out very affected by it um and so i will watch it But I am getting nothing from trailers or clips. Like it just looks so rote to me right now. I'm I'm looking forward to when I disagree with myself on that point. But at the moment, just because I've I don't know, just because I've seen so many films that look like this now. Like if you think back to like the the height of Disney 2D, which was basically four or five films in the 90s. That is that was not enough films for the 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 Glen Keane andreas deja animation style to get boring but we've had nigh on 20 years of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> like
0: what was the last time a 3d movie uh, and made movie looked really great like in just the basics of it like i, I think back to like the most impactful visual like Wally. yeah that was like oh that, that's a really great looking movie and then you have like okay up that looked a bit worse. And since then, it's it has become more and more generic.
1: Yeah, and even with Wally, it was just a good robot design that could have been done in whatever style you happen to have, be yeah. it 2D or live action or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, the, the, it, the it, most it, uh, visually impactful part of that was like the, the planet at the start and the robots uh, on their own, and then like the space stuff. Uh, yeah. But the actual spaceship with the humans there they were a bit like okay so they're they're just 3d characters
1: <laughs> yeah that's it um really honestly I, I feel as if the last cg movie from disney uh if you include pixar which i don't think they were the same company back then is probably the incredibles um which doesn't really compare to the way things look now but it was the one where they made a stylistic leap that is still kind of being leaned on now. I remember that that was where we first marvelled at the fact that they'd they'd managed to do human characters in a Pixar style by making them cartoony, and it was successful. Uh, I, mean, I don't mean financially; I mean like artistically. And since then, they've basically that's the same style of of the humans in, for instance, Big Hero Six. That's they still look like that, just better, just you know realize better so now outside the disney world you've got things like cloudy with a chance of meatballs that was a huge leap um so so things are happening but i mean that was years and years and years, and years ago now but um yeah generally speaking everyone settled into a very generic style and it is a shame isn't it uh and and look the same is true of your name i mean there was a the, again i'm not going to say what it is but the final scene um the woman in that scene, in in what is you know an, an emotional climax of the film, it is a generic anime woman face. It's just that it's handled well and it's it's animated well and it's directed well. So, yeah, ge- generic art styles are a problem in animated films wherever you happen to be. Yeah, in the, in
0: this, I feel the greatest strength was the backgrounds. Just for yeah. the, the everything in the countryside. <laughs> yeah the colors and everything and the mountain it's like it looks amazing <laughs> yeah, it why hasn't we why don't we see wonderful things like this more often
1: <laughs> yeah and of course there's a whole bit in the middle of the film where it's the you know it's this film's okay now we're trying a different style just for variety moment oh, yeah. which is a bit like when the when the disney films try a bit of 2d the the you welcome sequence in moana goes all stylized in 2d um, you had um, almost there in the Princess and the Frog, which which is a, another thing. Again, this uh, goes into this odd, like almost pencil sketch animation, but prettier than that. Like mm. it kind of looks like filtered live action, but it isn't. It's really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good film. Completely effective in what it was trying to do. The mm. the the part that I didn't like was sort of the the first half hour or maybe 20 minutes where you are or where i was adjusting to anime real reality which you know more seasoned anime viewers won't have to do um but the fact that everyone was talking in such a stilted and odd way which doesn't continue all the way through that's just kind of in the intro because they're doing that thing which i think of as an anime trope where you're not Supposed to understand what's happening for the for the first several scenes because they'll make sense later. Yeah. Now and some it, people I, are able to connect to that kind of storytelling. I dislike it, so I was struggling there. Yeah, but I, I, I think, did understand it all by the end.
0: Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's really worth it for the payoff, but it is yeah. asking a little bit of the audience. But if anyone, all you have to do is have the minor commitment of, well, I started this movie, don't push stop and quit. As long as you do that, you'll get rewarded for it. And it's only like the first 15 minutes or so. And uh, that's right. I think it pays off. Well, and one of the reasons why I'm
1: comfortable giving away the possible spoiler that it's a body swap film <laughs> uh, even though that's you know that that's the initial premise so i don't mind giving it away in that mm. way but the other reason is because if i'd known that then some of those scenes would have been better um the fact that the film opens with this teenage girl surprised at her breasts and weirdly squeezing them um yeah would and- have made more sense i still think it's a bit like haha let's lead with the pervy humor where a difference is between a boy and a girl haha like i don't like that stuff but at least i know what it is that's happening yeah it's it's just shortcuts storytelling
0: shortcuts that are well known with the audience for like okay how what's the quickest way of communicating something so we can get on with the rest of it and i get
1: that's tropes And I guess that's just what they did there. It's like okay, so yeah. The the other problem I had in that initial moment is that um, the 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 way that the body swap works is that they it's like they're you know they just they go to sleep, they essentially dream that they're the other person, and then they wake up back as themselves, and they think they've had a dream to the extent that the memory of it fades in the way that a dream does. Um, And um, now. I can't remember what what point I was going to make. I'm leading into something. That's Hmm. the way that that was handled. Um, And, oh, I know. Um, That is the premise. And I, I kind of wish I'd known that. Because the way that the film starts is with both of these characters kind of talking to themselves about this experience. But it sounded so much like generic, meaningless anime drivel that I basically wasn't paying enough attention to it in order to figure out what it meant later. So the whole opening dialogue of the film is, is something along the lines of, like, sometimes I awaken from a dream, and I find that I am crying. Why do I feel this way? You know, it's stuff like that, and you kind of go, like, oh, get on with it, yes, blah, 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 blah. Semi-spiritual nonsense to open a film. And this film happened to be one of the ones where actually they're actually talking about a particular thing, and I should have been listening. <laughs> Well, I think it's fine
0: to not be paying attention to it because I imagine it's like you have to fill the start of the film with something when people are getting settled in. And I yeah. think that's why you have all the pretty imagery and and the, the musical montage in the opening You have to yeah. get people settled
1: into it. Yeah. You see, that's exactly, and that, and that's an anime thing, and anime viewers, and maybe Japanese viewers, I couldn't I couldn't profess to know, will find that a settling-in process. I found it a pushing-out process. <laughs> um, that sort of thing is how to prevent me from knowing what I'm there for and, and to make me want to stop. Hmm. Um, but, like I say, I knew that. I think you'd already warned me about that uh, however many months ago we talked about this film, and so, you know, And also, it was a Christmas present from a friend, so like I pushed through, and once you do, I would say, above and beyond any other anime I've ever watched, all of that stuff pays off. And often I find it doesn't, and that's why I don't like it.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I played a game. Another game. I
0: played a couple of games, but I played a particularly good one. Finding Paradise. It's the sequel to To the Moon.
1: Did Uh you play To the Moon? It came out five years ago. I have not played it. I've owned it for a long time. haven't got around to it. But I know basically what it is. I've seen it. I know the kind of game it is. And I know the vague, basic premise of it.
0: Yeah. It's a game made in RPG Maker with uh, pixel art. And it's about a couple of people who have a machine where when a person is uh, about to die, uh, you can relive your life... And have it modified by the machine, so that any regrets you had in your life, you'll be able to die happy because the dream will uh, redo your, uh, you relive your entire life in your final moment with the corrections made by the machine. So you play a couple of uh, scientists who. Uh, visit people on their deathbed and hook them up to the machine. And you go through their life trying to figure out what the their regrets were. And uh, then you uh, correct it in the end. And, it's a strong premise. Yeah. And Finding Paradise follows basically the exact same setup as To the Moon. Where you play the same people on another oh. assignment. To oh, so it person. is, in
1: fact, a sequel. I was kind of imagining a spiritual sequel, just like the next thing these people made. No, this is the same people making a sequel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right at... Here's a spoiler. At the end of the game, I think it might even be a post credit sequence, it, it, it just tells you that it will be a third one, because it, it right. shows it says, episode one to the moon, Episode 2, Finding Paradise. Episode 3, question mark. Question Uh, mark, yeah. Yeah. So, and it has a few things it shows in the ending. Like, okay, this is the setup for the final one. And um, uh, uh, this is very well done this. And, I mean, this comes out five years after the last one. (laughs) And it's made in the same engine, which is... A really old version of rpg maker oh it's the same version of rpg maker to the moon used so yeah it is people being comfortable in how to make a game now just yeah. making another one they got it right last time why not yeah uh, but rpg maker rpg maker xp in this case it's crap First yeah. off, it runs in 640 by 480 full screen, and it resizes all your windows to 640 by 480 when you run it. So I close down all the browsers and everything I had
1: open, so I don't have to go through the aggravation of resizing everything. That is aggravating, but it, it's something I'm very used to. I have a yeah. lot of games that do that. Yes, but m- I guess more critical for this game is.
0: There's no diagonal movement. Uh, the, there's no comfortable way to move your character around. I use the mouse mostly, and you can use WAST or the keyboard buttons. And then to yep. interact with stuff, you uh, hover over it, press a button. And then there's mini games, and they also feel very stilted in their control, very limited. It feels like they were trying to do an Undertale thing of shifting genres with different types of games. But Undertale was made in Game Maker. It's, a, it's an engine very well suited for that many different types of games. RPG Maker is not. Mm. So all the minigames feel horrible and just the basics of moving around and interacting with stuff in this feels horrible. It feels like it did into the moon. <laughs> like even in the end, like, it never feels good to just move in this. But this is the thing. That's kind of the end of my list of problems with it. That's yeah. it. Everything else is good The music Composed by the person Who wrote it uh, The the script And directed it And whatever It's Awesome So good music Multiple scenes I was just The music was hitting The right emotional note And I was just Sticking around For a bit longer To listen to the song For a bit more And The story And the the, the execution of it uh, Maybe a bit slow In the first uh, hour but once it kicks off properly, once you get to re like real, uh, you explore the person's memories for a bit, and you're wondering like, okay, so what's the big regret going to be here? Because it's a puzzle. You're trying to uh, you you see things, see things, and you uh, you don't really understand it yet. It's uh, you're building a huge collage, like, and then, yeah. you know, when once you find out what the big regret is, uh, it's going to recontextualize everything else you've seen, of course. And understand about the person and once you see like the trail of like what's probably going to be the cause here but you don't know exactly yet but you see like a huge thing it's like okay this is a big thing that's unexplained and that happens maybe an hour in and that was like oh now it's really exciting and then there's like a few more hours left on it And from that point onward, it was, of course, very, very well done. Emotionally, it's funny. Music was great, and it's paced really well. And, and, um, yeah, like anyone who enjoyed To The Moon will enjoy this probably as much. Of course, it's a sequel, so the novelty value is a bit diminished. So that's about it for the negatives. (laughs) It doesn't have the novelty of To The Moon. But apart from that, I'm very happy with it. Right? Yeah.
1: I had no idea this was even coming out. Yeah, it came out December 14th. <laughs> yeah, I, Yeah, it's a funny time to release things, isn't it? Because it should be, you know, oh, it's Christmas, Let, let's get a new game or whatever. But everyone's so busy and so just distracted that you tend to miss a lot of information about things, I find, in December. Yeah, and it made a gutsy decision
0: of not calling itself To The Moon 2. Yeah, it's only called Finding Paradise, and I first I was recommended it on Steam as like, yeah, whatever. I don't know what this is. Why is this being recommended? And then after a yeah. while, I went to Rock Paper Shotgun and read the first paragraph of the re- review of Finding Paradise, and it said, oh, this is To the Moon too. And it's like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Now I get why this is newsworthy. <laughs> and then I went and bought it immediately and played it through and enjoyed it. So. So, I played another game. What's that?
1: Quantum Break. The one with the tie-in TV show? Yes. Does it still have a tie Do you still watch th- that as you play? Y- yes.
0: It's, right? a- it's about uh, an hour and 40 minutes of TV show total. There's um, three 20-minute episodes and one 40-minute episode. And I'm pleasantly surprised by this. Okay. It has problems there is an explanation for why this hasn't doesn't have a rave um, like audience response, but it's more gutsy than i expected oh. and, and it's it feels like a lot of, it's not it doesn't fail because of executive meddling it's more of a artistic failure <laughs> And that's that makes it feel like a more legit failure. (laughs) It doesn't fail because someone from top down forced them to put loot boxes in it or something like that. No, it just feels like no, they they were really ambitious. They really tried to do something here and had some questionable judgment in (laughs) what they did. But that makes it more interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Like I really enjoyed the TV show. (laughs) Good. That, 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 that was great <laughs> Um, like it's a strange combination of like experimental ambitious ideas combined with like the worst kind of mindless trend following <laughs> like the worst part in this yeah. is the combat it's a third person action game with the least inventive combat system ever Okay. It, it's just mindlessly copying every trend possible. <laughs> and it, without much thought, it feels like. It feels like, oh, this worked, this worked, this worked. If we combined all of it, it would be the best ever. No, it would be the most bland ever. <laughs> it is the, the less than the sum of its part during combat. It showed... ...kind of the erosion of depth that's been going on in AAA games. Because action games didn't used to have action that was extremely dull and rote. It just kind of happened over time. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of the worst examples of it. Because you have regenerating health, regenerating powers... ...you have uh, ammo boxes everywhere, so you have infinite ammo effectively... And you have a gun with infinite ammo as well, like a pistol. So you don't have this... Oh, yeah, and the pistol is effective against all enemies. So you don't have to think about health. You don't have to think about which weapon you use. You can use powers if you want, but you're powerful enough that it doesn't matter if you use the whole constellation of powers. So it's like in every step of like we we want to make this feel good and empowering... You're reducing game depth and thought from the player, like you don't yeah. have to think about anything. you have yeah. to vaguely stand behind something to avoid damage sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you do, and that makes it so boring because if you have if you have to think about, for example, health, <clears throat> now you're scanning the environment differently and planning your uh, your move differently like if health is a factor, you have to actually look where health is. If you have to think about which weapon you're using against which enemy, that's a thing to think about. And you have to think about ammo conservation. That's something to worry about. Like, in earlier games by this developer, Max Payne and Alan Wake, they had all that stuff. You You had to think about how much ammo you had. And... Some guns were more effective than others. You had uh, like flares and a flare gun in Alan Wake that worked as super weapons There's nothing like this in this in um, this game Everything is kind of at the same power level. It's just do you want to spray? Bullets in this kind of pattern or on different kind of pattern (laughs) That's interesting and all the powers it's like oh you have time shifting powers they had, they they were trying to make something different than Max Payne but play on time shifting stuff like in Max Payne because that was the first they coined the term bullet time
1: yeah yeah, yeah not the Matrix it was them
0: no yeah it was them and uh, but the way they did it here it's like it's fine but not impar- very inspiring so most of the game the combat is just kind of Whatever. And the story is structured, unfortunately, in a way. Because the opening is really good. This is what gave me hope. Because it starts like a real story. (laughs) It establishes the setting and characters and stakes and everything in a way you'd want in a good story. (laughs) Like the first 90 minutes, I was fully invested and entertained by it. It felt like, oh, my... Maybe uh, my worries were unfounded. Maybe this would be great. And then you get to act two. And it's like, oh, now it's a game. (laughs) It's just, oh, we're in a warehouse district. The story has gone on break. And now we're exploring the game mechanics. So here you fight a bunch of inconsequential people. And then you move to another warehouse. And you do some platforming and have some more inconsequential combat. And it's like, that entire arc was filler. Oh, dear
1: and it was, oh, it's a game, so we put a game thing here. Well, is it that? I mean, I wonder if any of it is to do with, like, uh, necessarily a certain amount of production has to go into the TV show bits, and you have to leave, you know, the game has to get to them. I could just imagine them kind of taking over as the priority in the in some producer's mind. Yeah.
0: The, the, uh, I can imagine the difficulty in structuring the story out, because it, uh, toward the end... It it, does, it works better in general. And it, they do a lot of... Because it's a time travel story. They do a lot of stuff where it's like... Oh, remember this sequence earlier in the story? Now you're seeing it from a different perspective. Because you traveled back in time and you're seeing yourself. And you're the invisible helper that helped you through this scenario. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: You do a lot of stuff like that. And uh, I mean, in general... I. I had a great time with this. It just feels like there's some unfortunate idiocy with the combat and just a tad to the story, the way it's paced. But I feel like I bought it at budget price and I feel like it didn't waste my time. (laughs) Good. The ending could have been a bit better, but in general, it's like, yeah, the the TV show was good. (laughs) The budget, like in the first episode of the TV show, that's the worst one. Because they have a car chase there. That's terrible. And it's also the most funny in the first episode, the way they have product placement. (laughs) Every car is a Nissan. Every computer phone is Windows. And like, oh, here's the bad guy. Carries a Surface. And he shows a video on the Surface. And everyone
1: uses Windows Phone and the <laughs> exact same thing happens in get out which i also watched this week and yeah. it's the, it's one of the only times in my life when i've ever really noticed that kind of sponsorship going on
0: and it feels it stands out because like oh this is the only context in which humans use a windows phone and services <laughs> yeah and uh, there's one point where it's like you know when people, computer people use computers and operating systems. In this, they go out of their way to show that it's Windows Ten. Yeah. <laughs> and they use oh, it's a Microsoft keyboard that the the computer user is using on his Windows Ten computer as it's doing hacking stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's mostly funny. and a a car chase with like a a Nissan truck with a Nissan sports car and then crash into Nissan cars (laughs) anyway I have a bunch of notes but
1: I feel like who cares (laughs) oh okay we'll never know they might be the best notes that anyone's ever made about it nah I don't think so (laughs) that's fine it's fine to just
0: leave it at this okay yeah
1: What should we move on to then? I feel
0: like we have actually exhausted most of my notes. And I feel like the reason I wanted to leave Quantum Break was that I'm starting to feel the tinge of fatigue in myself. I feel like (laughs) if I continue for too much longer, I will will become too incoherent. So,
1: do you have a Nintendo Switch? Yeah. Uh, Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone gave us a a Nintendo Switch, uh, an anonymous person. We know that they're from... We know they're not very anonymous because they're from our Discord and stream um, people, um, possibly Patreon as well, I don't know. Um, But um, they gave me and Abby a Switch for Christmas, um, and holy crap. So um, we went through a lot of complicated emotions about this, like, well, should we send it back? That's a big present. We can't really send it back because it would, like, it you know, it's another country and stuff, um, and also it would seem ungrateful. We were very grateful. Um, anyway, after a bit of sort of casting out on the Discord for like, stop us if you want this back. Eventually, we've opened it and we've just sort of come to accept that someone really has bought us this Switch, and I've barely put it down since. It is incredible. I absolutely love it. It's so good. Um, now you're not a you're not an owner of Nintendo handhelds. Have you had or played on a Switch? No, I've uh, never
0: even seen one with my own eyes. I've seen it through my video screen. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I've right, well... never touched a Wii. I never touched a Switch. Yeah, I played uh, uh, not Wii U. I mean the original Wii. I played once at a friend's house, and at that point I really. I noticed the amount of input lag on his TV. I never realized what a, how having a pointer on screen just r- revealed your input
1: lag so r- clearly. Yeah, it really did. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, the switch oh, where can I even start? I mean, so the actual switch itself, uh, it's very low on UI, or if it or, or at least I've not used it the the I suppose you won't know this, but the Wii itself. There was a certain um, the original Wii. There was a there was a certain joy to using its just its interface. It had various different apps that would pop up on screen, uh, like in you know in a time when this was a surprising new thing. I'm not. I couldn't even swear that we had smartphones by then. Um, I think we might have done. But yeah, uh, no, smartphones were 2007. The launch oh of the God. original one iPhone. year later. So so Nintendo came up with the kind of apps that we think of now as smartphone apps. They would be they would be all over the screen. They would pop up. New ones would come in. There was but they were called channels. And there was a weather channel. And there was a there was the Me Plaza. And there was just things where you just went and did them. And of course, there was the first iteration of Virtual Console, where you would go in and see what old games had come out this month. Um, and that started off very exciting and just got really depressing. But um, <laughs> all of these had a theme tune that played, and all all of them. Were on par with the best Koji Kondo like eighties Nes tunes. They were all very Moorish, very enjoyable to hear. You'd sing along with all of them. I still love them. Like I think it's a shame now that I don't have a thing I can go to apart from YouTube, where this is the music for it. Yeah, and uh,
0: when you said the theme, uh, p- my mind made, made, went immediately to the
1: shop store theme from Shenmue. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good example, you know, because it's like a tune playing in the background of a shop. Well, anyway, uh, the Switch doesn't have any of that. I've not used their online shop or anything like that, partly because I've forgotten my Nintendo account password, Mm. and when I attempted to get them to... uh, Send, you know, reset the password and send me an email. It just kept dumping me back to the beginning of the terms and conditions in an infinite loop, and I didn't, it didn't work. But it did work for Abby, so I think there might have just been server trouble on, because that was like Boxing Day. Um, Yeah. So instead, let's talk about the games. I've, we've bought Zelda and we've borrowed Mario. Yeah, those are the two big ones. Those are the two ones. There's other games you can get and people say they're good, but those are the two. Well, holy crap. Um, I am here to confirm everything you've heard about Zelda, and if you've heard good things about Mario Odyssey, then I'm here to confirm them. I am absolutely deeply in love with both of these games, and I never want to stop playing them. And you know me. That's diff- that's unusual for me. I'm usually content to play even my favourite game for an hour max by the time and, and I start getting really jittery. This is something some other experience it's so strange um i would say that that time limit exists on mario um what you've got here is um well it's difficult to describe to you as a staunch non-player of nintendo games you really need to get on this because they've made some all-time greats yeah well the biggest reason why i didn't buy
0: any of the more recent consoles it's just that there's been just enough of a limit of like not knowing whether I care enough about the games, it's not like with I don't know Yakuza or something where I know that oh I'm gonna love this, and uh, yeah, with true it, with like PS4 I bought it with Bloodborne uh, yeah, and, and with the Nintendo consoles I feel like is there any title that I care enough individually to buy
1: with it for me yeah. to like get it? And, yeah, it, a big problem with Nintendo consoles, and the reason why we didn't buy a Wii U, and the reason why we didn't buy a Switch, even though we were going to and we wanted to. Is that you? Kind of, we kind of can't afford to because, on top of the initial investment of the console, the games are so expensive and that never changes. We had to buy Zelda for fifty quid and it's been out for nearly a year. Um, you know, that's too yeah. much for a game. That being said, I'm glad we did. It was worth it. So, if if anything's, I kind of think no game is worth it. But you know what I mean to the extent no, that yeah, it can they, be, if- this was. The point is with those games that they they do kind
0: of justify it in the amount of stuff in it and the amount of care that's gone into them that's the uh, expectation we have of the uh, big nintendo titles that it's gonna be like oh this has to be
1: one of the greatest games ever or else (laughs) yeah pretty much so i mean i'll I'll talk about mario first um so in Mario Odyssey, um, the reason why I said it's difficult to to talk about it if you haven't played the previous Mario games is because I need to say, like, well, it's not like this one, but it is like that one. Um, the You have these levels, which kind of for the first time are not... So here's how it's worked previously. In the 3D Mario games, uh, in, have you played Mario 64? Yeah. Okay, so in that one, you had the hub world, which was the castle. Then you would jump through a painting, and then you've got a level. And it was quite a free-roaming level. You could go wherever you wanted, but there was always a goal. There was a star to collect. And when you went and got it, and it would show you where it was, and then the camera would pan back to Mario, and you would go and get it, and then you would be kicked out of the level. And if you wanted to go back in again, you could select a different star to chase. Well, since then, they've played with that a little bit. Mario Sunshine, which is the next one... You, the hub world was kind of way more involved and way bigger. And then you had these only eight levels where you were picking up a star, which in those cases was a, a sun. And um, they were a bit too big and a bit too free-roaming and, and just a bit too boring for me. Then you had Mario Galaxy, where everything was suddenly tightened up. And I would say, if you ever get the chance, you know, within, within financial reason, to get a Wii or a Wii U, because it runs on that, presumably slightly better, because um, you've got HDMI, and play Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, because they're basically just the same game, but it's just twice as long. Um, those are great, great, great games. And in that, they tightened it up. So each place, yes, it was free roaming, but there was only ever one thing to do, and they were very small, and you could see what to do, and you did it. And then you zipped off to the next arena and did that thing and somehow that seems very sort of tedious and repetitive but they made it work and they made it good but this game which is the next big 3D mario since then they've combined the two so what they give you is a free roaming place with all sorts of things to do and you and it doesn't tell you where the moons are because it's moons in this one that you're collecting except for one at a time it'll tell you where one is but there's other there's other moons hidden everywhere, and you get them just by mucking about. So if you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to try doing this, you might get a moon. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. Something about this appeals to me gr- greatly. It, it really kind of – if I've told you about the hidden hearts in the Popeye game on the spectrum, this is a bit like that. You are going somewhere you think there might be a hidden thing, and you're finding it, and that is just something I respond to. The whole game is filled. Every couple of minutes, I've yet to reach the point where it's plateaued and I'm not seeing new, exciting stuff yet. It's Now, that being said, I've only played two or three of the worlds, um, but it's constantly surprising me with cool stuff to do, and everyone I know who's played the game and who is the sort of person whose opinions tend to line up with mine love it all the way through, um, ex- in a, except for a couple of people who were just fairly lukewarm to it. Um i currently am very very enamored of this game um it's just really good uh and it incorporates 2d bits to the point where it literally switches to like NES graphics and you play an an old bit of mario but it does it in a way that's new and fresh and wonderful and brilliant and i absolutely love it and of course you've got the central conceit of this game which is that you can throw your hat at stuff and possess that thing so if you see a goomba Throw your hat at the Goomba. Now you're the Goomba, and the Goomba has a mustache. And just the fact of stuff having a mustache and Mario's hat on is somehow that makes it worth finding out. That just makes you want to find out what you can be. And it, it, again, it keeps surprising me. I met a. S- Speaking of mustaches, I have, <laughs> a, I, I have Hitler trivia. Oh, uh, good. Uh,
0: that's suitable. Go on. The Hitler mustache. The way the reason he trimmed it that way was because of World War 1 because gas masks to to make them seal around your face you had people with mustaches had to trim them like that to make the mask seal whoa that's why Hitler kept his mustache that way because it was an image to, because everyone yeah, at because the time knew them that oh
1: that's the World War 1 veteran uh, mustache yeah he was he was trying to project the image of someone right that's yeah. interesting I thought, because the pop culture version of it is that it's that he was a Charlie Chaplin fan, which may have been true. Yeah, but <laughs> Charlie Chaplin signalling that he's a World yeah. War One veteran. Then. <laughs> well, no, he probably was, because <laughs> in that era, you know, in every era we have certain bits of fashion. that, Like, for example, um, when I was growing up, having a pipe in your mouth signalled trustworthy dad, you know? Yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah.
0: So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, there's no reason for Mario to have a mustache like that because
1: presumably he is not a veteran of trench warfare. Well, no, but he's a veteran of the of the Mushroom Kingdom wars against Bowser. Yeah, and maybe maybe Mario, maybe this isn't the original Mario, and like for the last several generations, men with this mustache have been trustworthy, mm. and so that's the image he likes to project. It could be. Um, Anyway, at no point that I've got to in the game so far does Mario or any Goombas gain a Hitler moustache, so that's good. Um, so um, I met a stack of Goombas, and I thought I would have to like knock them down one by one, so I threw my cap at them, and instead I possessed the stack of Goombas, and I was walking around as a tall stack of Goombas. been brilliant! I'm not even telling you one of the things that you pr- possess very early on in the game, because it's so good they've 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 come up with this thing where they teach you the they go like hey if you throw your hat you can be stuff and you're like okay and you do it to something and you're like all right that was okay i guess and then straight away the game goes yeah but what if you could throw your hat at this and you're like no can i oh please and you do and it's just really effective and that leads me to zelda breath of the wild um You've heard about this already. Everything you've heard is absolutely true. But I'm going to bring it with a slightly different angle, which is that the stuff I'd heard about Breath of the Wild made me think I wouldn't personally enjoy Breath of the Wild very much. Because the whole premise of it and the way that it works is that it's open world without the quests. It's uh, open world without without anything to do, essentially. You're just wandering about in a place. And this sounded so boring to me because it's almost like the, um, the exact opposite of what I want out of a game. I want a game to tell me what to do and I can do it in 20 minutes and then I can move on with my life. And then the next time I play it, I'll do another bit. Um, so I was sure I was going to prefer Mario and I played it, I, I focused on it and then Zelda clicked and I've not put it down since. Um, the way that it works for someone like me who hears this idea of, oh yeah, there's just this gigantic open world and you're just mucking about in it. And I think to myself, no, I don't have time for that. Well, the way that it works is, okay, how shall I describe this? So you are just mucking about, but everywhere you go, you remember in that documentary about The Witcher, where they said that they had this rule where every 30 seconds you'd see something interesting if you just ran around? Yeah. Well, in this, it's a similar setup. But it's cleverer, I would say, because it, that you don't see something interesting in the sense of there's a person going, hey, Witcher, come over here, I've got a quest. Or you don't see something interesting in the sense of there's a drama going on somewhere. What it is, you see something every few seconds that you, that is not signposted at all, but that you recognize, I bet if I did this, something would happen. Because you're given a skill set quite early on. It's very, uh, it's a little bit like um, in Link Between Worlds, the one on the 3DS. Brilliant, by the way. Um, the, the big change there was that instead of the usual Zelda formula, which is you go to a dungeon, you get an item in that dungeon, and then you can get to the parts of the world that that item unlocks to see the next dungeon to get the next item and so on. In Link Between Worlds, it gives you access to all the items very quickly, and you pick which one to take with you, and therefore which bit to do next. So there's a lot of player freedom. In this game, very quickly, you are given basically everything you're ever going to be able to do. There's only one slot that I've still got remaining that I haven't filled. I don't know where to go to fill this. I don't know if I've missed something or if I'm going to get something later, but I have a ton of different items and skills. And now I'm just walking around in the world, and I keep seeing stuff and going, what if I did this to that? would this happen um a great example which i don't mind telling you because basically i want to try and not tell you what any of them are because i'm trying my hardest not to tell abby stuff i've found and she's trying not to tell me because the joy in this game and it is joy comes from finding stuff out by figuring it out by running into it the actual things aren't that big a deal but you find them out and that feels so good Um, As an example of this, um, there's an old man character who uh, you meet very early on in the game. And in fact, when I played, me and Abby went to a Switch preview event before it came out, and we played the first sort of five or ten minutes of the game. I think just five minutes. And I made the mistake of talking to this guy, thinking that I'd get my sword out of him, and that would be what I had to do. Abby ignored him, and she got to really run around and have a good explore. I only got like a few seconds of exploration because most of it was taken up with this conversation. This old man, as you walk around the first island, you encounter him at different times. And I encountered him in what I thought of as a important tutorial for one of the main things you're going to have to do all the way through the game. And Abby completely missed that. She totally missed it and had to figure out on her own how to do it. And she did, because you do. So there are tutorials, but they're never like, okay, Link, now go here and press A. They're always like, hey, you might want to try... So, for example, there's a bit where he goes, oh, I made a nice meal out of fish and spices. And you're like, oh, can you make meals in this? And then you figure out how to do it. That's what Abby missed. Um, And she still figured out how to do it. And this
0: is a great change from earlier Zeldas because they'd gone hard in the opposite direction where you effectively play tutorials for two hours or more at the start of each game where... It's almost like GTA that still does this where it's like a message is on screen and you can't skip it no matter what button you yeah. press. You have to wait for the camera to quit panning before you get yeah. the next bit of text and you just want to murder the developers
1: but you sit there like oh I know the game is going to get great but right now I hate you. <laughs> yeah. This is why I even though I do I do encourage you to, you know, pick up these Nintendo consoles at some point because you've missed so much great stuff um don't play skyward sword it is just that and i've never got through it and i'm a zelda fan i'm an invested zelda fan and Mm. i've never got through that game because of that yeah this game is the opposite of that they could not have learned their lesson any harder it's so good you are it is see people say sandbox and i go oh well then i won't play it because i don't have time for an infinite game but it it isn't an infinite game it's just a game where as you walk around the map you're spotting stuff and it's not telling you what to do. And that is such a... We don't currently, like, have the vocabulary to describe that kind of game anymore. And so people have to say, oh, it's like a sandbox. And you go, like, what, like Planet Coaster? No, it's a sandbox. Oh, you know, and you're just thinking back to all of these games that never ended and there was nothing of any substance to do in some of them.
0: Yeah, it's a very vague describer because you can say, oh, player PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, it's a sandbox. It's like, "Uh, yeah. Oh, Arma, it's a sandbox. It doesn't describe the contents of the game properly. It's one aspect, but how it's used, how how you experience it, it's
1: all very different. It's like, okay, so you had really big levels. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so... The way that they handle stuff like puzzles in this is so good. So uh, as an example, there was a platform that you couldn't get to because it was in the middle of a swamp. And so I just didn't go there. I just sort of went, oh, well, I probably can't go there until later in the game. But Abby, she was uh, mucking around somewhere else with a different ability that she had, and she just found this long plank of wood or metal or something. And she thought, what if I can take that all the way to that other place? and use it as a bridge. It was totally... It was a separate place. It wasn't like the puzzle didn't have a movable block that you're like, oh, I put that over that gap. But it worked. That is the solution to the puzzle. She was in a different place that was just near enough to the first place that you're remembering its existence. And she just took this thing all the way over there, put it there, and now she can get there. And that's how it handles puzzles. It lets you figure stuff out in the world. There's another kind of semi-puzzle, not puzzle exactly, just like situation. Um, so here's, here's one that I was in and you know, when I said that I kind of think that it's best to figure out stuff you can do on your own, I might be spoiling some of that stuff, but it's clear you're not going to play this for a long time. So you'll forget anyone who wants total surprise, maybe skip this. Um, but it's not, it's not a spoiler for anything. The game doesn't really have spoilers. The story is just Legend of Zelda. Ganon's got the princess, do stuff about it, you know? Um, so the, the stuff that you can spoil is like, there was one move that I told Abby how she could do. And the reason I told her is that the game never... There's no contextual reason to find out how to do it. But if you happen to accidentally press the exact three-button combination that unlocks it, then it goes, oh, well done, you did this. Here's how to do it in future. Um, so I told her that one. Anyway, here here's a, here's a situation I was in. And it made me nearly stop playing the game because I was so annoyed. I needed to be warm i was in an area where it was cold enough that i was losing hearts and thanks to that old man's tutorial earlier i knew that if i cooked some peppers of which there's only a finite amount i could make myself a warm meal that would help against the cold there was a cooking pot um and there was a fire somewhere else but i needed the fire to be under the cooking pot there were some goblins up a tree in on a platform they were throwing rocks and firing arrows at me and I couldn't get up to them to fight them because there's no way up, um, and I'd run out of arrows, so I couldn't fire arrows back at them. So there was nothing I could do about them. I needed to light. I needed to take something made of wood, and you can do this with anything. Put it in the first fire, take it over to under the cooking pot, light that, put the food in the fire, in the cooking pot, and cook it, and eat it, and then I'd be all right but these goblins were were shooting at me, and I got so frustrated. There was nothing I could do, and I just had to leave. And I played Mario for a bit instead, and I was like, oh, I guess Zelda isn't my kind of game. Whatever. Everyone says it's really good. Whatever. But then the next time I went back to it, I gave up on that and went to do something else. And the first thing that happened was some skeletons dragged themselves out of the ground, and I fought them. And they dropped some arrows. So I went back. I was able to get the, the goblins up in the tree and just... I won't say the rest but through a sequence of events what I could have done is I could have gone and got that plank and put it up and walked up it what I could have done is I could have uh sent something flying through the air and I could have been clinging to it and I could have got either up there or I could have hit them with it everything is done with physics so it's totally up to you and for the first time in any game I can think of ever I am using that I am going oh I know If I catapult this boulder up there, it'll hit that bad guy. If I roll this down there, it'll do this. And the game isn't telling me ahead of time what it needs me to do and I need to figure out how to do. It's just showing me, like, I think I'd like to be there or I'd like to get that. I can't. What if I try this? Will it work? And the answer is almost always, yes, it will. And so would three other different things you could have done. And this is the first time I've ever experienced a game Where genuinely, I like that. Usually, I'm like, oh, just come on. Let me just do it. Don't make me think about how to do it. But in this game, something about the way it's designed, the way it's angled, the way it's put together, thinking of how to do it is itself the enjoyable experience. Yeah,
0: and while you were saying, like, okay, I see this, and I can probably do something with it, made me think about the art style of the game. And how yeah. it's probably very deliberate how we don't put something in this world unless it's possible to interact with it the way you would like in the real
1: world because it reacts to physics in this and- yeah they've they've made a couple of little mistakes in that I think there's um, uh, a, a piece of so so when you fire arrows, arrows are very rare, so you want to get them back. And sometimes you can, and I'm not fully yet aware of when you can and can't. I think when it strikes someone, it's gone. And if it just lands inertly, then you can go and pick it up again. The problem is that uh, there is a p- there is a texture that they've used, um, that they use in the goblin camps, which is just a little bit of trash that they leave behind. And it has what looks to me like an arrow sticking mm. out of it. And I always want to go and pick that arrow up and you can't. So I think that's a mistake. But it's one little mistake in a game full of Successes at exactly what you just described, so I can't really complain too much. Yeah, and the, just what displays their design philosophy behind this game is
0: when if you shoot an arrow through a fireplace, the arrow turns into a fire arrow as it exits yeah. the flame. They, like, they, that's the kind of thinking that's gone into this when it comes to like yeah. uh, the world reacting to it, like it not feeling completely stiff and predetermined and not being full of invisible barriers, and a lot of visual clutter just for the sake of art decoration. Instead, it is deliberately like flat in a way where it's like, oh, this is signaling that there's nothing here you can interact with in any way whatsoever, but if there is something there, you can do something with it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's very fitting that this came out the same week as uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which shows uh, the... uh, the Opposite way, of thinking, <laughs> where it's all like, oh, we have a bunch of big mountains here. It's all uh, visual stuff because it's invisible walls, so you can't climb any of it. All uh,
1: right, where it's, uh, Zelda, it's uh, the the opposite. <laughs> yeah, and yet, Horizon Zero Dawn also a really enjoyable game that's yeah. that's used what it does have to its to it, its advantage, so it, it just, it just shows, shows you how many the, ways there are of making games. Yeah, it
0: just shows that the descriptor, the, the oh, it's an open-world game, where you're a person, it's a hunter, you have an arrow, uh, you can shoot arrows. Uh, yeah, it doesn't describe the content or the design philosophy that drove every little decision of how it plays out in any way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's what Breath of the Wild is. It is a hmm. game that has a design philosophy <laughs> that is successful, That is that is adhered to and that works perfectly and that's why people keep comparing it to the original zelda in which there wasn't much to do but it was consistent and it wasn't like okay so in this section of game we've decided it's a minecart race you know it's not the sort of game where it goes like now you're doing this no it's the sort of game where it says right this is the sort of game this is off you go and if you enjoy it which i do then you have you just have a great time yeah and it uh, remains consistently that yep
0: anyway i remembered as you were talking that there's one more thing i did this week oh you know star citizen (laughs) yeah and that star citizen is supposed to have a single player component called squadron 42 And as a holiday stream uh, gift, I guess, they showed off a one-hour gameplay clip from Squadron 42. Pretty much for the first time, I think. And there are two versions of it, one without commentary. I I watched the one with developer commentary. You have uh, one of the technical people, the the lead writer for the story, and the project director talking about it. And it was pretty amazing. I mean, it was they were very candid about everything that's wrong with it. But it also showed that as they were talking about all the little details about how the game and engine functions and what they're trying to do, it was obvious why this game is taking so long. Because they're insane! <laughs> <laughs> oh! This is not a normal game production by any means by any standards. Okay. This is part science project and mad visionary like a technical exercise. Okay. <laughs> it's they didn't take any reasonable shortcut in how to do stuff here. It's so much of it's like oh this is amazing this technical thing you did here. Why? <laughs> The defining moment, about fifteen minutes in, you, they talk to they, you. Walk the way the demo plays out is, uh, you wake up on a ship, uh, you walk through the ship, and you have a briefing. And then you walk to the ship bay. You get in your fighter, and you fly around, and you do a mission. And then you do some space walking, and then you fly to a planet. You land on the planet, and you do some uh, uh, first-person shooting and stealth action combined. And okay. then you rescue a person, and then the demo ends. And all of this is done without any load screens, which is something they mention. So there's no levels in this. It's all like a persistent world. So it's like the big yeah. ship you wake up on in the middle is actually a giant ship flying through space there, and there's no skybox. So all the nebulous and planets are actual volumetric nebula simulations with a sun actually placed at the proper distance and the light being filtered (laughs) through the nebulas being simulated in real time. (laughs) Okay. and the giant planet it's like oh that's not a sky box that's a giant planet that exists for real and you can land on it and walk around on it and it's actually to scale and it's there existing at the same time as the ship you woke up on still exists there and when you talk to a person over radio it's not a pre-rendered video of that person no that's a projection that's the actual 3D model still existing physically at that place talking to you in real time (laughs) the animation is playing out for real and like in the briefing early on it's like oh you have Mark Hamill there and they mentioned oh after the briefing here the Mark Hamill player character walks at a normal pace to a place and he changes clothes. And if you follow him, you can walk, watch him walk there, change clothes. And there's a change clothes animation. Then he walks down to the ship bay and goes and works at a computer there. And it's like and every NPC in the world is like that. And back to the janitor, the reason it was a defining moment was that they were talking and not joking that they were going to add procedural puddle generation so the janitor has an AI that walks around and actually physically cleans puddles and you you see his mop (laughs) removing the puddles. (laughs) What game does that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is the level of attention to detail you're working with. (laughs) Yeah. And they, they mentioned all the stuff they cut from the demo just to make it one hour long Before, because they had many more dialogue scenes and a lot more multiple areas of the ship that they built that you don't get to see yet because they want to keep the demo to an hour. And it's like, yeah, it's a space combat game. And we wanted to get to the spaceship within 20 minutes. So <laughs> we didn't show you how mad this
1: capital ship you work on is. <laughs> and I suppose when you when you do crowdsource the kind of budget they have the onus is on you to do something as extreme as this Yeah. otherwise you're only ever going to be fielding questions of like why did you just make a normal game
0: and uh, I, I found so much of it like admirable that they managed to lose their senses to its extent because it's like if you just wanted to make a Wing Commander game, you could do all the shortcuts in the world and just have, like in Wing Commander, where it was like, there was one picture where you hovered your mouse over and you went to different parts of the ship with like pixel art and you pressed like a person there. If you go to the uh, kitchen or whatever, uh, the the mess hall, if a person is there, you can press on them and you get the And like It's very simple. Here, it's like, the The level of fidelity they're working with and the cutscene system they have working uh, it's uh, cutscenes are optional where if you press space to skip the cutscene that scene still plays out, but your your person isn't there like when you arrive to the ship bay like uh, some prisoners are let out from um ship they captured some people and you if you skip the cutscene that scene still plays out, you can kind of look out the window and that scene is still playing out there they're they're escorting the prisoners and everything, all that plays out, it's just you're you're just not looking at it, but you can still walk down there and look at the people and see the cutscene from a different perspective I guess they're a bit more echoey because you're further away from them and then they escort all the prisoners away and you can follow them if you want and they walk to the the proper places on the ship, (laughs) And um, I hope that they have enough funding to finish this Yeah, because they were talking like candidly about the problems they have to work on here because like, okay, we added so many features, but there are core fundamentals, like the feel of space combat, the feel of first person stuff. They haven't worked enough on it, and they said that this is the the next thing they're doing because they need to get the fundamentals of making a good game feel like good. Yeah, <laughs> but there's all the all the little stuff like when you do the spacewalk, they mentioned that oh, we don't have a shader to simulate the the glass of the uh, the helmet that's occluding your view, so we're gonna add that. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. But they, they, they apparently in 2015 and 2016, they spent 100 days doing performance capture on all the actors. So they have the whole story written and all the actors recorded. And one of them okay. is Mark Hamill. And, uh, you know, it looked good. Good. So hopefully they have a good story there. And it seems that they're finally arriving to the point where it's like, let's stop adding features. Let's actually put together a game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if it takes uh, another couple of years I guess that's fine I ha- my only worry here is that just uh, their funding that they- they're gonna run out because they have multiple studios <laughs> and, like all that money is burned off continually having everyone employed yeah and uh, they don't get too- I-, I wish I hope they have a good list of like first things first and yeah. hope um, if you're reasonable, you have, like, first things first, second thing not at all. That's how you get <laughs> things done. But here <laughs> it is, a hundred things they want to do, and they have the time and the money to just do all of it. So they're doing all of it. And
1: that's it. It's another yeah. approach. You know, we've been talking about how, how it's good when there are different approaches to making games, and it's, it's bad when there aren't. Yeah, and so, it's... It- just seeing this,
0: and i I recommend people look watch the video with the director's commentary because it is incredible It's like nothing is like this <laughs> like nobody has had the funding or even the inkling to do something like this because people like the, the publishers won't do this because they, they have quarterly re- things results to worry about they have to have a continuous influx of money and have to put product out here it's like Money keeps pouring in and the to keep working on. So it's like, what is the most insane dream project here? What's the most advanced world simulation with the most, in our most insane ideals? How would a game work? How would we simulate a world? And they, they want to have it feel like very physical and realistic and have the attention to detail that you can spend hours just walking and looking at how everything reacts and works and it will feel
1: realistic mm. and uh, <laughs> and it's odd isn't it that that's you know we expect that that would be done for something like a Shenmue yeah but this is a space shooter
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I guess it's a sci-fi nerd's dream yeah. just realize this universe to the tiniest detail <laughs> you have a, a janitor with procedurally generated puddles <laughs> <laughs> so you'll never be in the same place twice because you keep walking around on the ship cleaning yeah. uh, anyway <laughs> should we go? yeah I think so